Brother Knox was saying, I, I love this day. It's a great reminder of uh, just the blessings that God has given us in our life and uh, the, the design of, of God in um, our relationships. How, how vital the, the Father is today, I think, is, is seen in our culture and uh, maybe the, the lack of, uh, of fathers. And, uh, and I, I think more, more and most importantly, uh, of godly fathers. And so the, the title of this morning's message is uh, needed, you know, like have wanted signs, and then also you have like help needed. Uh, this is needed, and it's mighty men. If you have your Bibles, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is where we're going to be in, in the beginning of this uh, message. But each generation that has uh, come and gone uh, has, has borne the responsibility, and we do now. We bear the responsibility of teaching and le- leaving a legacy for the next generation that will either be for the Lord uh, or that will be forgotten. Uh, Brother Tony, yesterday at our, our men's event we had, Beast Feast, he, he preached and he talked about how most men uh, want to leave a legacy. You know, they want to make sure that uh, their influence, specifically on their kids and on the people around them, uh, is impactful. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, is a higher call. It's a, it's a legacy for Christ. It's a legacy for the kingdom of God, something that will last beyond this earth. Um, your, your kids are our kids are not going to necessarily remember all the, the great things, but uh, when they get to heaven one day, uh, they'll, they'll remember those eternal things. And uh, I think it'll be part of those rewards that, carry, carry, that are carried with us. But many fathers realize the great weight, I believe, uh, the first time that they see their firstborn child. And uh, that, that weight kind of hits us. You know, we, we see our first kid and, and all the excitement for the nine months leading up to that uh, become a reality. This is, this is my child. This is a responsibility that I have. Some also realize the even heavier weight when they come to Christ. And if you're here today and you're a father and you are a follower of Christ, you understand, uh, man, this is a huge responsibility. There is a few, I believe, that don't really get how important it is until at some point down the road in their life. And sometimes it happens when their kids go astray. Sometimes it happens when their kids turn away from the church, from the Lord. Sometimes they realize how important it was when it's too late. And there's a sad, I believe, portion of fathers who profess to follow Christ who never realized the importance of leaving that legacy for Christ may be oblivious to the vital element of our entire existence on this earth. One thing that's true is this, leaving a legacy for God, a a blessing that's passed from one generation to the next, takes deliberate measures. It takes deliberate efforts. It doesn't happen by default. It doesn't just happen because it takes sacrifice and it takes work. And it means selflessness and dedication specifically to the cause of Christ. And it's not so popular today. Again, Brother, uh, Brother uh, Tony yesterday was, was sharing that there's a lot of men interested and involved in building kingdoms for themselves. They, they want to see their, their, their kids even flourish in this world. And, and there's nothing wrong with seeing your kids flourish in this world unless that is your priority. I think that the, as fathers, our, our greatest Desire, And just as Brother Nosh was, was saying, is that our kids would grow and love the Lord more than anything and anyone in this world. I was just thinking that yesterday. I was, I was praying and I was thinking, man, there's nothing greater than to see our kids 
as they grow, fall more and more and more in love with, with Jesus Christ. I want to see my girls do great in school. I want to see them do whatever it is that God has for them to do and, and do it well in this world. But I don't want to see them do that over them love the Lord. I want to see their love for God exceed everything in this world. I'm always reminded of this great responsibility, as I said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 is what we read. It says, In these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And listen to the command. You shall teach them, look into the words, diligently to your children. You, fathers, shall teach them diligently, giving your very best effort to teach your children. And not only that, but you shall talk of these commands, the commands that are good and right of God. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're sitting down at dinner, when you're, when you're sitting next to each other on the couch or whatever. You should sit and, and talk about the commands of God. When you're walking by the way, when you're just walking down, when you're lying down, when you rise up, it should be something that is a deliberate measure that you're taking as a father is to teach your kids what God says is right. Today we have a lot of men here, I believe, that are dedicated to leaving a legacy for God. You raise your kids, and by the simple fact that you're here in a church service on Father's Day, some may say, well, it's my day. I want to I sit back and relax and, and just do what I want to do all day long. But the fact that you're here to honor the true Father, the, the one and only good Father, is a, is a big, big statement. It's a, it's a very important statement. Leading your family, loving God, loving others. And I think there are men here today that set that example, being a devoted man of God. And today I want to say thank you because this is what is needed today. We need men who are unashamed of Christ. We need men who are bold in, in their teaching of the commands of God, who are bold in their leading by example in the home. And just that video said, no, none of us are perfect fathers. None of us are, are perfect dads. We fall short. We miss the mark. We don't always do what we should do and, and how we should do it. But man, I, I want to say thank you to all the fathers in here that are trying to live for the Lord and trying to love God and trying to leave that legacy for your kids. I want to look at a group this morning that were dedicated to the cause of God like this, who are absolutely devoted. And in this group of men, there's particularly three or four of them that we can find some qualities, I believe, that are, there are precedents for us even today, thousands of years later. Second Samuel is where we're going to read most of our text this morning. You can take time to turn there if you'd like. And if not, it's going to be on the screen, 2 Samuel chapter 23. It says this, these are the names of the mighty men of David, uh, men whom David had, Joshua, the Tachmanite, chief of the captains, he was called uh, Adino, the Esnite, because of 800 slain by him at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ohite, one of the three mighty men with, with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and it was stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, a Herite. And the Philistines were gathered in a troop 
where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines yet again. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, and he defended it and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time and came to the cave Adullam while the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David had a a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Look what happens. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and they took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said this, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, was chief of the thirty, and he swung his spear against the three hundred against three hundred and killed them, and had a name as well as the three. He was most honored of the thirty, therefore he became their commander. However, he did not attain to the three. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man, uh, Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. Now the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a club, and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and he killed him with his own spear. Look, this, guys, this is like, this is pre, uh, uh, prehistoric, like, movie stuff, right? The guy goes down, steals his own spear, kills him with his spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, Jehoiada did, and had a name as well as the three mighty men. He was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David appointed him over his guard. It goes on in this text and, and, and names the rest of the 37. And you can look in First Chronicles chapter 11 and First Chronicles chapter 12, and it tells us the same mighty men and the names of all the army of Israel that God used. And the thing I want you to understand in, in, in reading this story this morning is a couple of things. First of all, that God had a plan. That God had a plan, even though the, the, the nation of Israel was constantly kind of uh, tormented and, and, and um, uh, afflicted by the Philistines. He had a plan. And not, not only did he have a plan, but God obviously had a, had a man. It was David. And, and God gave the plan very clearly after setting the man in place. And then he provided the men. He provided the resources. And at the end of First Chronicles chapter 12, we read this in verse 40. Look at the end of that verse. It says this. And there was joy. You can go to the, the next one. And there was joy in Israel. There was joy in Israel. A nation was united. A people were united. And they were united for a specific cause. And that was, that it was the cause of God. And it was because of some mighty men. 
Our God had a plan then with Israel, with these mighty men, with David, under those uh, difficult circumstances, under the, uh, the tormenting of these Philistines, if you will. He had a plan then, and he still has a plan today. But what is God's ultimate plan for mankind? If that was what was going on in Israel, in, in ancient Israel, and, and what we have going on today, it seems like, you know, there's, there's diff, diff, different kind of difficulties that we're facing, which I think that our term difficulty needs to be put in quotes compared to a lot of the difficulty around the world for Christians. I think it needs to be put in quotes in, in, in respect to the, the early church even. Because our difficulties today are more of impedances on our comfort and our abundance than anything else. But what is God's ultimate plan? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I believe it's just part of the ultimate plan of God. It says, The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some people count slackness, but is long-suffered towards us, and here it is, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, God wants to see people saved. God still is, is saving the lost. God still today wants to see maybe someone here today who's never surrendered your life to, to, to him, who's never turned away and repented of sin and turned to faith in Jesus Christ, making him the Lord of your life, making him the Savior of your, of your soul. Maybe there's somebody here today who's never ultimately surrendered. And, and guess what? God still wants to do that today. He wants to do that work in your life. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to redeem you. He wants to give you a home in heaven with him forever. He doesn't want to uh, send his wrath on you for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Even though that condemnation is on your head right now, he doesn't want it to stay. He wants to save you. That's his will. That's his plan. He's the redeemer. He's the Savior, the one and only true God, the way, the truth, and the life. And he extends his salvation, his redemption. He still extends victory and, 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 and works great things among people. But how does he do it? And that's why the message today is so important. He does it through men. Men and women that he has redeemed to carry out his plan even today. And this morning as we live in the, a desperate age, I think it, even though our, our difficulty is relative... Um, I, I think that there's very clearly an, an obvious desperation going on, even specifically in our nation. Man, it is hard to watch some of the, the atrocities. It's hard to watch some of the, just the wickedness be celebrated in our, in our world, in our nation. It's difficult. And I think this morning we can learn some great lessons from ancient saints about accomplishing God's will in desperate times. Because there's nothing really that has changed in the fulfilling of God's will. It still takes men, it still takes women of God who are willing not to yield to the world, but to yield to Him. Willing to obey the unchanging, the holy Word of God. Willing to submit to God's plan no matter what, and to follow His lead and leadership to accomplish His plan. And I want to point out some characteristics about these mighty men that God ensured would carry out His plan. And how that we can apply that in our lives today to see the same thing accomplished. And so while this is specifically geared towards these mighty men, and I believe geared towards the men in this room today, the young men in this room today, it's applicable for all of us today. The first characteristic that we see, or the first group of, uh, of men that really need to rise up that we need to see in our culture, specifically in the church, is men of valor. The first point in your notes, men of valor. 
Valor, great courage in the face of difficulty, and especially in, in battle. That's what valor is. We need some men who are going to have great courage in the face of difficulty. It's hard to be the one that says to your kid, no, you're not going to go there because that's wicked. No, you're not going to be friends with them. No, you're not going to date them because they are lost and you will not be unequally yoked. No, you're, you're, you're not going to, uh, to, to miss this for this. This is the things of God. The, the, it takes courage. It takes guts. It takes spiritual strength to say, as for me and my house, we will actually serve the Lord. We're not going to just say it like flowery words or put it on the sign in our house, but we're actually going to live it out, and I'm going to be the one who leads the way. Verse 8, again, it says, These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Joshua, chief of the captains, was called Adino the Esnite, because, listen, of 800 men slain by him at one time, and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle, and the men of Israel had withdrawn. Verse 11 says this, Now after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herite, the, and the Philistines were gathered in a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people fled. Everybody else left. The people were afraid of the Philistines. But look what he did. He took his stand in the midst of the plot, right in the middle of the difficulty. This guy, this man of valor, says, no, I'm not running. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to do. While everybody else is running, I will stand in the midst of the plot. And he defended it and struck the Philistines. And look what it says at the end of verse 11. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Look, we're not going to see any more victories as a church in this nation, in the culture in which we live, unless there's mighty men of valor who are willing to stand in the middle of the plot all alone if need be. There's going to have to be some men of great courage, spiritual courage, who say, you know what, I don't care if I'm the only one. I don't care. Well, yeah, but everybody else's parent, I don't care. I love you so much, and I love the Lord so much that I'm willing to have the spiritual guts and courage to stand in the middle of the plot as difficult and as alone as I may feel. I'm, I'm willing to stand here to honor the Lord. And we're not going to see the victories unless we have some men like that. What we're going to see is a continual just floodgate of, of young people when as soon as they graduate, they don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. They don't want to have anything to do with the church. They don't want to tell other people about Jesus. They want to just live their life, make their money, have their stuff, and enjoy the temporal world as much as they can while they can. Because that's what they're being taught, and that's the example that's being set. The characteristic of these men that I want to point out is that no matter what they were facing, no matter how bad things looked, no matter how alone they were, and if they were the only one, they were determined to have this courage. They had this courage to advance God's cause, to stand. And notice that, that coupled with their courage was devotion and loyalty. Again, these mighty men were wholly devoted to God. God had a plan. He had a man, as I said, and they were devoted to do what God had called there's so many halfway committed people today. There's so many halfway committed men to the cause of God. I've been that way before. 
when you really don't feel like doing something. You need to just go through the motions. You just kind of do it because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, what product do you get when you get a half-hearted effort? What product do you get? You get halfway completed. You get half quality. And you miss the full potential. I've shared the illustration before that when you do things half-heartedly, that's when you're at greatest risk. Right? I remember when I was in sports and my, my coaches used to always say, go all out. Go full speed. Don't do it half-heartedly because the way you practice is the way you're going to play, number one. But also, that's the way you get hurt. Imagine if our Lord, Jesus Christ, halfway committed to the work that he came to fulfill fully. Our message would be something like this. Well, I, I got some partial good news for you. I don't have good news. I've got some partially good news for you. Part of your sins could possibly be forgiven. What good news is that? Well, what sins, and are they the big one? I mean, is it enough to qualify me for heaven or not? Like, I mean, how, how good of good news is it if it's partial good news? Well, that's a good question. I really don't have any idea because Jesus, he came and he kind of half-heartedly did things and kind of half-heartedly told us what he was doing here. And, and we're just trying to make in, uh, fill in the gaps and, and, and come up with the best idea that we can possibly have. Hopefully you can figure it out along the way. Work, work, work it out if you can. That's not good at all. Men of valor, men, men of valor, they were not half-hearted. Or what I've called before all inners. They didn't commit halfway to David. They didn't commit halfway to, to, to God. They didn't commit halfway to their nation. They didn't commit halfway to God's plan. They were all in. I want to encourage and challenge the men here today, especially if you're a father. But it's for everybody. What would define your commitment to being who God has called you to be? If God were to give you a report card on your commitment to him, what would your grade be? Would you be halfway in? Would you get a 50? Would you be about three-quarters in for the Lord and his kingdom? Would you be uh, 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 mostly of men of valor? But, man, there's sometimes that your wife or your kids, just they really, they really pull you away from what you, you know you should be doing or, or your job does or, or your own flesh, your own hobbies, your own desires, your, your own things that you want to do while you sit around and just do what you want to do. What would your grade be? Or would you get an all-in? And A, you're, you're not perfect, but man, you're striving as hard as you can. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, it's nowhere, does God call for half-hearted effort. Nowhere does God ever say he's okay with half-commitment to his cause. Nowhere. It's always all or nothing. Always all or nothing. Jesus came to this earth. He lived out the sinless life. He was the perfect sacrifice. He set the example for us. And everything Jesus taught about following him was an all-in thing. It wasn't like you get this cool golden ticket so you can go to heaven one day. And then, hey, good game. Go live your life. Have fun. Good job. You know, I'll see you in heaven one day. You know, that's not how Jesus taught. We must give him all of us. 
We must commit to all of his commands, not just the convenient ones. We must have the courage no matter how difficult or weary we get. And that's the other side of it. Sometimes it can be tiring. Sometimes it can be wearying to constantly take the stand for Christ. Because the flesh is weak. And I just would rather do this today. I'd rather do that. Now, I, I, my kids have just been on me and on me and on me. And finally, I, I, just, I just, maybe if I give in, maybe if I let them do this instead of this, or maybe if I let them go, or maybe if I let them date them, or maybe if I let them be friends with them, or maybe if I let them have this, that they'll, they'll get off my case. No, that's not how that works. They'll stay on your case and keep pushing until they get everything that they want. That's why God sets up parents to lead them. To, to lead them in the ways of God. We've been given clear direction. It's been said before. It's not obscure. It's not what do we do. I'm not sure. Again, not the same thing with the gospel. It's not partial. It, it, it's very clear. They're not called the ten suggestions of God. Are they? What are they called? The ten commandments. He gave the great commission. And the great commandment, it's not called that scripture, that's what we understand them to be. The most important commands, the, the, the final charge, the commission given to the church. And unless men and fathers today lead their families, their wives, their children, help lead the church of Jesus Christ as men of valor, having the, the, the courage to trust and obey, then we will not see the mighty hand of God move in our homes, move in our lives, move in our church, move in our city, move in our culture, move in our nation. And I'm not okay with that. I hope that no man in here is either. I don't like seeing some of the stuff. I don't know if you saw recently, but I wanted, it broke my heart and it just made me, um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a self-righteous way, but just indignant. It made me uh, righteously indignant to see in the state of Texas, in the city of Dallas, a perversion carried out with kids. Some of you saw it, some of you didn't. I'm going to say it from this poll, it's going to be recorded on, but they had an event that said, drag your kids to pride. And the word drag was a play on the word drag queen. And they had kids in a drag bar that they had set up to introduce them to this perversion. And they had drag queens up and down the runway and kids giving those drag queens money. Other parades and kids not wanting to look and parents forcing their kids to look and watch. And that's just one thing. I mean, we could go on and on and on about so many things in our culture. I'm not okay with that. I, I don't want that for the next generation. I don't want it for this generation. How is it happening in our schools? How is it happening in our culture? How, how have we gotten to this place? I believe that there aren't enough Christian men as leaders to be able to, to, to be willing to stand in the middle of the plot all alone and say, you know what, I'll fight this battle even if I'm by myself. I'll stand for Christ. 
My kids won't do this. My kids won't go there. My kids will do this. I am going to lead the way, and we will serve the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to see God's hand move miraculously. I want to see souls saved. I want to see children raised to love God and follow Him. And we must know there is a price to pay for walking without spiritual courage. And that's the absence of the hand of God, His blessings. And I believe that's what we're seeing today. Remember Joshua and Caleb? Some of you do. They faced criticism. Why? Because they were counting and trusting on God. God gave them the courage, and they operated in that courage. They were fully committed to the job. They'd seen manna come in the middle of a desert. They'd seen God lead them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. They'd seen an entire sea parted. They had no fear of what God could do if they would just do what God commanded them to do. No matter what the circumstances looked like, no matter how big the giants were in the land, they trusted that God would provide if they just trusted and followed him. And there were only two out of that crew. There were only two. I want to ask you this morning, we're going to move on and hurry through the next two points. What have you seen God do in your life? Have you been saved? Say, yeah, man, I, I remember that day. I remember the day my life was changed. I was born again. My life radically changed. I remember that day. That was God moving in your life. Have you seen him answer prayer? Have you seen a healed marriage? Have you seen cancer? Uh, it's gone. It's healed. Have you seen uh, other things uh, just answered prayer? Then take heart. Have courage. He's the same God. Stand up and be a man of courage and lead the way that God is calling you to lead. He said, well, I, I used to live like that, but then it just got too hard. I, got, I caved in too many times. And you're right, my kids just took advantage, and, and, and now I'm not as committed to God as I used to be. Then remember the Red Sea experience. Remember when God parted the waters for you. Remember when he healed that marriage or, or, or restored that relationship, whatever the case may be. Remember your own deliverance. He's the same God. What example are we going to leave for the generations to come? We're living in a culture where valor has lost its, its luster. You know, we watch it on movies, but we won't live it out in reality in the spiritual realm. We're the men of courage for Christ. We're the men who are going to say, you know what? We're going to actually do this. But the second group is men of victory. Same men. We sing it. We have it, but we don't often live like we do. Victory in Jesus. We sing the song, I'm going to see a victory. We know that God isn't moved by great sacrifice and then lets it it's done in faith and obedience, according to Psalm chapter 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will do it. When's the last time you've seen a, a spiritual victory? Do you remember what that looks like? you remember what it looks like to pray something specific, and then God answer that? And wow. I was just talking to somebody yesterday at our men's event. And we're talking about a very specific situation that in someone's life looked like it could be catastrophic. And then God just showed up and, oh, no, it wasn't that. It was this. <laughs> I mean, th that's not just circumstance. That's the hand of God moving. That's a victory. That's a spiritual victory. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that we, we fight with different weapons. We have the same mighty weapons that David's mighty men had. Men of victory. But you know what they did? 
They didn't sit and just hope. They just didn't sit around and say, well, I'll just, I'll just show up for church every now and then and, and hopefully my kids will learn to trust Jesus and, and hopefully my kids will go to heaven one day. No, they, 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 they didn't sit around and hope and think that someone else would do it or, or try it a different way. They did. Again, the, the same verses. That there was a battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn and these people stepped up and they did what they could do. And the Bible says in every situation that the Lord brought about, verse 10 it says, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Verse 12, it says, and the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord did it. The men did what they were called to do. They did what they could do in their courage, trusting God, obeying Him, and the Lord brought about the victory. Don't you long for that? Man, if you're a man of God, every single one of us who are, who are men of God, I believe, long for that. Man, I want to see my kids saved. Man, I want to see my kids love the Lord. Man, I want to see my kids serve God. I want to see my kids just thrive in their relationship with the Lord. Again, they understood that God had a plan, and they did everything they could do to see that plan accomplished. I have to wonder, though, why are so many people, and specifically the men of our culture, why are so many men walking in spiritual and personal, emotional, mental defeat? Here's part of what I believe on why. I believe partially because they're fighting the wrong battle or fighting for the wrong cause. Maybe they're not fighting at all or trying at all. And maybe they're trying to do it their way. So many men, I believe, are fighting for mammon, for money. So many men, I, I believe, are fighting for worldly success, to, to, for, for their kids to look at them and say, man, dad is, is successful in the world. Man, uh, this is great. I, I think so many fathers are fighting the wrong battles. They're fighting to see worldly victory in their kids. And I want to see my kids do this and do that and do this in the world. Listen, nothing compares to the spiritual victory of seeing your child saved. Nothing compares to the spiritual victory of seeing your child saved and then baptized. Nothing compares to the spiritual victory of, of seeing your so child saved, baptized, and then loving Jesus and most of all in their life wanting to serve him. There's nothing that compares with those spiritual victories. In sports, victory is good as a fan, right? Man, some of us like to, to, to watch it on TV. Some go to the stadiums and watch it live. And we love to see our team win. There's something exhilarating about that, right? It's just, it's cool. But guess what? It happens in a moment, and then it's done. The victory's over. You go home. Next day, next game, next season. It always marches on like that. It's not really a big deal. But, man, we like to see our, our, our team win. But listen. There's a complete difference between seeing your team win as a fan and being a part of the victory as a participant. You can walk all, all, around, all, all day long around saying, oh man, my team won the national championship. That's different than saying, we won the national championship. I was on the team. I have the ring. You know, as a player, one of the most frustrating and discouraging things, if there's a loss, is when some of the players didn't do what they were supposed to do in preparation for the performance of the game. 
in the class, practice, on the field, when everyone didn't step up and do their part, stand their ground, when we're all supposed to be fighting for the same thing, following the game plan. One author said this, the Bible contains unchanging laws and there's no shortcut to the victorious life. So many Christians and Christian men are trying to have this shortcut in their spiritual life. And it doesn't work like that. The sooner we stop trying every way through this Christian life, but God's, including shortcuts, the sooner we'll see God give great victory in our lives. Dads, fathers, men, Christian, let's take the Shama's examples that stand spiritual ground and defend it to see God great work great victories in our lives, in our families, in our church. Thirdly, and we'll close, men of vitality. Men of vitality. Vitality is the power of giving continuance of life. It's present in all living things. Did you hear that? Vitality is present in all living things. We need men of vitality. See, we're seeing a generation of men and fathers that have lost spiritual vitality, that, that, that have lost the excitement. I'm not talking about losing their salvation, but have lost the vigor for the spiritual life, for the spiritual things. And what is the consequence? What's the result? We're seeing a generation of 18 and 20-somethings and under disengaging from the spiritual, eternal things of God and engage in the secular, in the temporal, me, 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 me society. Why could it be that we've lost so many men of spiritual vitality? Living a life submitted to Christ and imparting that vibrancy and vitality to the next generation. And I, I, I'm afraid that's the case. There's not a lot of men that are excited to be a follower of Christ. There's not a lot of men that are excited to share Jesus with others. There's not a lot of men who are excited to sing praise to God and serve. I mean, all these things, not a lot of men. A lot of times, the women are leading the way. And I praise God for our women, just as I said on Mother's Day. But God has given the man the role to lead. And that's part of the problem. Men aren't leading with vibrancy. They're not leading with, leading with vitality. It's, oh, man, I know. We probably should do this. No. Praise God we get to do this. Man, I'm a recipient of his grace. I don't deserve a day on this earth, let alone a moment in eternity with him. I deserve nothing except for punishment in, in eternity in hell. That's what I deserve because that's what I'm good at is sinning. I don't deserve anything but in his grace, in his mercy, his goodness, and his love, he extended salvation to me. And as a child of God, I can serve him in the short amount of time that he's given me on this earth. And what a privilege that is to serve him. The next generation needs to see that in us. They don't need to see us, well, I guess we'll go, I guess we'll, I guess. No, they need to see men leading with vibrancy. We're doing this because this is important. We're doing this because this is what God called us to do. And we have no other gods before him because he is the one true God. We need men of vitality. I don't want to see the next generation live for this world most importantly. I want to see the next generation live like they're leaving this world. But they're not going to do that unless we're doing that. I want to be that man of spiritual vigor, spiritual vitality. It's not boring. It's eternal. Man, that's, that's the problem with, with, with us today is, yeah, well, it's just, 
I can't, I mean, I, I show more excitement for my team because, you know, it's exciting. They're, they're winning and they're scoring and they're doing all that kind of stuff. Listen, get in the Bible. Get into a relationship with Jesus. Walk with him daily. Worship him. Serve him. Serve others. And you'll find, man, there's, there's life in that. There's, there's vitality in that. But if you just try to sprinkle Christianity in your life, it is going to be boring. It's going to be boring. And showing up for church is going to be a labor, serving other people, giving, sharing the gospel with other people. It's all going to be like, eh. There's a difference. When you're walking with Jesus Christ, you draw from his will. Are we teaching our kids, whether they're grown or not, whether they're in our home or they're out of our home, that the commands of God, the Christian life, is based on commitment or convenience? Is that what we're teaching our kids? The Christian life is based on commitment to Christ or convenience. Because they're watching. Grandparents, they're watching you. Parents, they're watching you. And if we're not passing the vitality of the Christian life on to others, then what are we doing? The abundant life, the life of light and salt is a life, a life of impact. Salt enhances. Light, is, is, it changes darkness. When light enters a room, darkness flees. Will we be an army of united men, leading our family courageously, victoriously, with zeal and vigor for the eternal? We memorize the verse, God so loved the world, but are we united in the effort to show and share the, lo the love that he gave to the lost world? Or is it just, just words? I want to be the man. I want to be a mighty man of God. I pray every man in this room, every father in this room does too. I pray that you want to be that, that mighty man of courage and valor who stands when no one else is standing. I pray you want to be that mighty man of victory who says, you know what, I'm going to do what God called me to do and let him bring the victory. And I want to be that man of vitality, that, that, that man who is living for Jesus, who loves to live for him, who, who finds passion in living for Christ. We need men who are truly walking with him so that you can draw from that. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill, destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So how does that actually work? Read Psalm 1. Read Psalm 1. It says, it's the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree that's firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. That man is the blessed man. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to see my kids. I want to see the kids in this church. I want to see the kids in this generation and the generation to come understand that there's no greater privilege than to have a relationship with the Lord and to live for him and to serve him and to see his will accomplished. But they've got to see it in us first. Fathers, will you be that? Will you be these men? It's needed today. Mighty men are needed today. So what's wrong? Mighty men are needed today. That's the problem, I believe. Will you be that man? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place to worship you.
Lord, to be challenged by this word, Lord, I know for me, uh, it, it is very challenging. I don't, I don't want to let up. I don't want to hold up. I don't want to um, take a break. Lord, we, we, we have just a moment in time to be who you've called us to be, to, to accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. And Lord, it is going to be laborsome, but you tell us that that labor for you is not in vain. And I pray that there would be men in this room that would rise up. I pray there would be fathers in this room that would rise up and say, we'll, we'll be that man. We'll take the stand. We'll be the shamas, the only ones standing in the middle of the field if necessary. We'll be the ones who, who stand for you, and e even if, if no one else will, we'll, we'll, we'll fight the battle. I pray that there would be men in this room like that. I pray that there would be men in this room that would show to this, this generation of kids the vigor and the zeal that comes with walking for you, walking with you and serving you. I pray that it would affect every single person in this church and then it would pour out into this community and this culture and our nation. And you, you, you turn the world upside down with 12 men. I believe you could still do it with thousands of churches across this nation. I believe you could do it again. Lord, start in this place today. Start with the men in this place today. And we'll praise you for what you do. Lord, help us respond rightly now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.